reading tonight from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is is filled. It's a, a preacher's paradise. I suppose if the only book you preached from is Isaiah, you wouldn't exhaust it in a lifetime. It is packed. There's a little, little verse here and a, a verse there that, that tells a giant story. The first verse in this chapter says that the Lord's hand isn't shortened. He, he can reach out, literally, reach out and touch you. We've heard songs like that. He touched me. The hand of God reached out and touched you. You hear people who are healed of affliction say, God touched me. That's the hand of God. The hand of God is not shortened. That's that's good to hear. I like to know the verses in the Bible that, that, that encourage me. And, and trust they encourage a lot of people. But the second verse spells out a different story. He, he comes from this position. First of all, he says that, that the Lord's hand's not shortened and that, that his, he, can, he can still hear you. It's not that he cannot hear you. God can hear you. But he says, it's your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Well, that breaks it down, doesn't it? Sin separates you from your God. That's what Isaiah was telling the people that would hear this message. That's what he's telling us. You say, preacher, most of us here are already saved. We know all about sin. That's probably true. But it might take note of the fact that sin is extremely powerful and subtle and it sneaks around and it is a troublemaker from the devil. He works this day and night. He works this 24 hours a day. The enemy never sleeps. So I think it's legitimate that we touch this subject today. Sin separates from God. We don't like the idea of being separated from anything good, do we? Something that's good, we want to be connected to it. When they divide up teams in school, I suppose in school, and this kid goes there and that kid goes over there, you want to be with the ones that are going to win, don't you? All the tall ones are over there. It's basketball, I suppose. All the short ones are with me over here. And and we want to be with the guys that win. Well, in the gospel, we are on the winning team no matter what. Short and tall, 
we're on the team that wins. The Lord has, has made great strides to be sure a people can win at the end of this race. Jesus went to Calvary, suffered miserable suffering on the way to Calvary. The hurt, the pain, the awfulness of it all that Jesus suffered so that he might deliver sinners from their sins, set the captive free, make a difference in people's lives. And so even though this scripture is absolutely true that sin separates from God, God can reunite the sinner with himself by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus puts an end to that. Uh, he, he brings forgiveness for sins, for starters, and he can take away the sin too, the nature of sin, take it out. I wrote down a few little, a few little characteristics of sin. And, and the more I looked at this, I realized that we could all write down our own, own group of, of characteristics of sin, and the list would go on quite a ways. First of all, sin separates from God. That's the separation that's the worst kind of separation. To think in terms of never being able to be with God forever. When we go to funerals, we've all attended funerals, I suppose. Somebody says the fact that they'll be reunited in heaven. And that's a good thing to know, that these people that are gone on to be with the Lord, the, the Christian people that have died, that person that has died, it's comforting to know that someday we'll be with them again, that they're not completely gone forever. But if we do the right thing, if we're obedient to the word of God, we can be with them too someday. So being separated from God, we don't ever want to be, even think about being separated from God, except in this context to be sure we're never separated from God in this life and in the life to come. Sin separates from, sin separates from everyone you love. Isn't that true? When sin enters a home, people that you love, problems, problems, problems. The devil just, just, just assassinates the family. It might go along with the same thing. Sin, sin destroys relationships. It does. Sin just goes out there and it goes after relationships, any and every kind of relationship, even in the job market, even where you work. Relationships are broken because somebody had a serious problem and the bottom line was sin had entered the camp. Sin enters a family Sin destroys the family. It's no fun. Ask anyone who's ever been involved with the separation of a, um, a husband and a wife, and the, the, the husband stays with the house maybe, and the wife has to move downtown, and the, and the older kids have to learn how to make pot pies. They've got to feed the family. Sometimes pizza, sometimes spaghetti. But it gets old after a while, doesn't it? It shouldn't be that way because sin separates people from people that they love. It's a terrible thing. We can pray one for another that God heals broken families before it goes any farther. That God enters in and, and, and he changes people's hearts to separate the people from their sins so that they don't have to be separated from their families, from people who they love. 
Sin controls the recipient. If you have sin in your life, it's in charge. That's no fun. Sin's in charge of your life every day. Think it isn't? It is. It is. Sin calls the shots. Sin takes care of the money, if there is any. Sin takes care of the time, if there's any left over. And there's never enough time for anything, is there? Sin's in charge of your life. Sin is bad. Get that idea? Sin takes away all the fun that is the real fun, the joy, and the happiness. It just wipes it out. It really does. And even when you think you're having fun, there is no fun. It's a miserable experience trying to get along with sin, isn't it? How do you accommodate sin? Well, some people do it this way. Sin often leads to unhealthy appetites like alcohol, tobacco, drugs. That's just an outing for a little while. They've got to come back to reality sometime. Sin's like that. It is a task master. Is that enough for one list for tonight? I'll let you write your own. Just to think about it, okay? If you continue to read in this chapter, chapter 59, I, I read through parts of it. In the next uh, six verses, I counted 19 different areas that you could probably call sin or some aspect of sin. I mean, Isaiah spelled it out. You don't have to look very far to find it in that chapter. But he comes down to the eighth verse, and I like the eighth verse, even though it's, it ex- explains itself. The eighth verse says, The way of peace they know not. There is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. The crooked paths. Have you ever heard of a crook? You wonder where the word crook came from? I don't know. Maybe it came from here. Crooked paths. They're on paths that are crooked. You ever try to ride a bicycle on a crooked path? It's scary, isn't it? If you try to go any speed at all, you're liable to run right off the path. Crooked paths are dangerous, especially when it involves sin. Sin is a crooked path. You don't want to get on and you want to get off it if you're already on it. And then he goes on and says, Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Now there's, there's the key. You go on that route, there's no peace. How we need peace. Man, woman, need peace. Little boys, little girls need peace. They need the peace of God. They need that, that peace that, that's a calming factor. I observe sometimes and I see in the families that uh, uh, appear, and I, more than appear, are well-educated. And I think, how did they get there? And then I look at their families and I think, they had a very calm, peaceful family. When they came home from school, there was a mom that said, did you do your homework yet? They encouraged them. If you had problems with algebra, moms, come over there and help you with your algebra. In the other homes, nobody was there to help. Nobody was home. Sad, isn't it? But the peace, this is a good peace. Coming into the house of God is a good peace. There, there's something unique, even for kids that grow up in difficult situations. It's like they don't even realize why they go to church sometimes. But they go to church, they attend church, 
maybe become part of the church and the young people's activities. And, and years down the road, they look back and say, I know why I went to church. There was something unique about church that was peaceful. It wasn't like anything else we knew. It was peaceful. The people there were nice people. They actually acted like they liked you. That's a good thing about church. When people come into church, we're glad that you like us. We're glad that we like you. We even like you even if we, even if we didn't like you, we'd like you, wouldn't we? Isn't that right? Because we want people to know that they're liked and that maybe we can encourage them to come to an altar of prayer, seek the Lord, find real salvation, be delivered from their sins, set free, absolutely, indeed. But on a crooked path, there's no peace. Now, if we if we were to vote on this tonight, I know who would win, peace would win. So we won't vote on it. But if, if you were to, to decide whether you would want peace in your life or you would want adversity and trouble and sinful life, peace would win out here. We've got a captive audience here. And I think we'd win on the peace side. We'd win on the victory side. We'd win on the joy of the Lord's side. That's the good side to be on. We thank the Lord we're on that road. You recall, in the New Testament, Jesus reiterated two, two people. He calls them certain in this, in this English translation. A certain rich man and a certain beggar. The beggar had a name. His name was Lazarus. But there was a certain rich man and a certain beggar. Now, number one confusion to start, to start with is the fact that I don't think Jesus was picking on rich people and beggars saying that the only way you can get to heaven is to be a beggar, and the only way you can stay out of heaven is to be a rich man. I don't think he was saying that here. He was using two different individuals to tell a story. And uh, we know how the story goes, that they both died. Well, that's what happens. People die. Eventually, they die. The rich man died. So did the beggar. But in the 25th and 26th verses, it says, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, likewise Lazarus, evil things, but now he is comforted, thou art tormented. Okay, that's part of it. The rich man had it good. The beggar didn't have it so good. But now, things have changed. They both died. One's got it extremely good, and the other one, has become a beggar. But his begging will do him no good. He thinks that if, if Abraham would do this magic trick to, to with his family or whatever, or with him, so that they would know and somebody would go back from this place that they would convince his family and then his family wouldn't have to come there. Ah, it doesn't work that way. He was told, he says, and beside all this, between us, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. Now, I don't know what that great, great gulf fixed is, other than it's hard to say in a hurry. But whatever it is, it divides heaven from everything else and eternal hell. There's a big divide there, a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. 
So if you're on the one side, you can't get over to the other side. And if you're on the other side, you can't get over to the other side. Okay? Got that idea figured out? You see? When you're separated from God, when you're separated from the peace of God, it's a horrible thing. You don't want to be on the wrong side of that gulf. Sin separates from God, not only while you are alive, but in death. If people have been separated from God in life and never reconciled to God, never been saved from their sins, never had the blood of Jesus cover their sins, on the other side, in hell, that's where they stay. They can't get back. There's no time for redemption once you're there. Do we have a reason to pray for our loved ones? Oh, we do. We pray for our loved ones daily because we know a lot of them that need to get things right with God. We hope that somehow God can help us to be that kind of an influence, to be a blessing to others, not only our loved ones, not only people that we are family with, but with everyone and anyone here and there. In Philippians, I drew, I drew a line on my notes. So I just have one page notes. Very uncomplicated. So I drew a line across it. The part above the line was all this sin business. We had to get that out of the way first. Now we're going to move to the other side of the line. This is the good side. Well, both the good side. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you like that idea? The peace of God. Now it says it passeth all understanding. So that doesn't mean you have to understand it. There's a lot of things in the Bible we don't understand, but we believe it. We believe the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. Every day we find that the Word of God strengthens our weak spots and lifts us up over the, the cares of this life, if you will. It passeth all understanding, the peace of God. And what does it do? It says it shall keep your hearts. It's not, I don't know if it's physical heart or just the heart. The heart, the soul. It keeps your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The power of Jesus in the heart and in our mind is wonderful. To have that power of the Lord in your life every day is the greatest thing in the world. There can be nothing better than this. The old-time religion is, is good. It was good for our mothers. It was good for our fathers. It was good for my grandmother. I remember that part. And it was. When I go to see Grandma... She eventually lived in a threeplex. She lived downstairs. She lived in this little threeplex, and I'd take her Christmas tree, little three-foot Christmas tree, a real tree, around Christmas time. I'd take it down there and set it up for her. And then I could have Grandma's French toast with butter and syrup. Oh, it's good. But there was one stipulation Tom had to pray for the meal. That was the tough part. So we had to have a prayer before we would eat. That was the rule. It was a good rule. You know, loving, caring Christian grandmothers are awesome. I'm on your team. All of you grandmas. I'm on your team because I think you're the greatest. Really. 
You have influence you didn't even know you had. You can say stuff to your grandkids that nobody else can say. I think that's true, isn't it? You can get away with it. The parents can't say it because they've heard it from the parents all the time. But the grandma, she's got power. She's got influence. She can tell you it's time to pray. It's time to believe God. It's time to get things straightened out with the Lord. Because sin separates from God and you don't want that in your life. Grandma told you so. Well, she may have told you that. Another very familiar passage in Isaiah is Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Probably all heard this one before because actually it's a pretty popular, popular preacher's verse. It's been around a long time. But it's no wonder it's been around a long time. It's a good message. And what does it say? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind, back to the mind again, is stayed on thee, or, or fixed. Your, your mind is consumed with God. That's a good thing, isn't it? Because he trusteth in thee. This is the place where God's people can live every single day. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. In the Hebrew... Evidently, it's translated just a little bit differently. It's called, instead of perfect peace, it's like peace, peace. It's like a double peace. Shalom, shalom. Twice. And, and generally speaking, as I understand it, in the Hebrew, when they emphasize something in a, in a double manner like that, it's like emphasis is, is, is greater. It's really trying to say that you, you, you need peace, peace. There was a, a man in England in 1875. He, he was on vacation in uh, the northern part, north of London, a place called Harrogate. And his name was Bickersteth. I thought Prisket was bad. Pick Bickersteth. Can hardly say it. Anyway, he heard a man preach from this text, from chapter 26, verse 3. And he heard about the fact that this double peace, it just kind of impressed him. Peace, peace. The emphasis had evidently been made along that line. Later that day, he saw, uh, took this thought to somebody who was actually dying and told him about it. It was an encouragement to this man. But he also wrote a song. He wrote, he wrote down the words for that song that day. And what he did was, with the name of it is Peace, Perfect Peace. Don't look it up. It's not in our hymn book. It must be pretty old, around 1875 or so. And what he did was he first proposed the, the difficulty at the, at the beginning, kind of asked the question in the song, in the, the verse, and then he answered it with an answer at the end. The next part of the verse was the answer. Just one of the verses is uh, perfect peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin. See? In this dark world of sin, uh, it's, it's the end for sure. But then he goes on and says, The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Isn't that calming? That brings peace. You, you get into the, the, the scriptures of these, these songs, these old-time hymns, and it is in, it's encouraging to us. We need to be encouraged by the peace of God. Double peace, triple peace. All kinds of peace. We do not live in a very peaceful world, do we? But that's okay. 
That only tells us that Jesus is still in charge. He knows what's going on. We may not understand how he puts together such wonderful peace for us. We may not even understand why in the world he'd call us to live for him. But he did. What a blessing that he did. And he kept calling. He didn't give up on us the first time around either. He just kept calling and calling and calling and said, Come unto me, come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what he wants to do for the whosoever will. Come to the Lord tonight. Seek the Lord tonight. All of us, seek the Lord tonight and expect God to minister to your soul and provide the peace that passeth all understanding. We're going to stand and sing a song, 308. Come and pray.